The pandemic has changed a lot of things, but one thing that it didn't change is the fact that you need to know about prominent artists, singers, musicians, entrepreneurs, parents, and those that are definitely making their mark in ministry and in other areas of life. The Abundant Living Talk Show podcast does just that. Join me as I talk to world changers and find out how they came about their business ideas, their dreams, and they are living their abundant life. Each week, you'll hear a new interview with somebody who's showcasing their talent, shining light on their craft, and just telling you about their abundant living experience. If somebody asks you how you're living, I hope you say abundantly. I'm Latia S. Brock. Thanks so much for joining me. And I'm so excited for another episode of the Abundant Living talk show and podcast. When you think about the world today, when you think about your contribution to the world, what do you honestly think about? Well, for me, I think about those that are in my village. I think about those that are a part of my community and those that are truly making a difference around me. Today, my guest is none other than Dr. Kirsten Scott, as we like to call her, Dr. K, or as you'll hear me call her throughout the interview, Kirsten. She comes to Pittsburgh with a wealth of knowledge, currently living here now. She's going to tell us about her organizations and her work with the youth and young women. Again, you're listening to the Abundant Living 
talk show. Hello. How are you, Dr. K? I'm doing great. Let's see. Thanks for having me today. Thanks so much for being on the show. I'm so excited to have you on the show. This is going to be a great show. I feel it. <laughs> <laughs> I can feel it. I always give you guys the awkward moment, you know, when you sit there and somebody else is reading your bio. I don't know how you are when you're sitting in a room and somebody is reading all of your accomplishments. But I put you on the spot because I want you to tell our listeners who you are. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> that's such a um, simple question for some and uh, challenging for others, I'm sure. Um, but I think when I think of who I am, I, I see myself most succinctly as a educator. Um, specifically a community educator and you know that that idea of describing myself in that way has has come over time and it's something that I imagine time will continue to help me understand um, and to carry out and so community is very important to me so I am a person who finds myself always seeking community building community um, operating within and through community and thinking about education always, what I can learn, what I can impart on other people, how I can learn with other people from space, from time, from objects. Um, I just feel like learning is the thing that surrounds us in all instances, it's within us and it's all around us. And so if I just had to, you know, briefly capture myself, I would see myself as such, I do also see myself as a Southerner. Um, I am from the <laughs> South and I love the South and I miss the South <laughs> so much. Um, and so in Pittsburgh, I have to make clear those things. Um, it never fails when I meet people here after I introduce myself and I talk for maybe one minute. They're like, you're not from here. And I'm like, no, I am not <laughs> from here. Um, and I am not ashamed to say that. And so I am um, from Memphis, Tennessee, um, 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 I was born there. I went to undergrad in Mississippi and got my master's in Alabama and my PhD in Kentucky. And so when I say I'm Southern, I'm Southern Southern. I'm just all everywhere, you know. Um, but I'm I'm also um, an organizer. You know, I I, I love to think of the things that allow people to come together. Um, I actually believe that is my absolute love language that, you know, what do I do to bring people together um, so that they can see their gifts and talents and abilities manifested with and through other people. Um, And so this idea of like orchestrating spaces together, whether that be when I'm teaching at the University of Pittsburgh or working at Homewood and Westinghouse or in my church or within my family or in friend circles. I am a person who prioritizes gathering so that we can learn and grow with and from one another. I love that. And that is so much, of course, for our listeners to unpack, but I'm gonna pull a couple of takeaways. My favorite, community. Mm-hmm. Another one of my favorites, organizing, And then a big piece, a big piece that has been a huge part of our lives, especially these last three years, educators are so important, you guys. I don't know how anybody else has uh, dealt with this pandemic, but I know I have a greater appreciation for the tribe's educators. It's a tough job. It's a large job. It's a needed job. And 
you have to really, I'm learning, love the job, um, especially to teach our youth, to teach other people, um, to put the work in. It's a huge, <laughs> a huge responsibility. Um, so tell me a little bit more about that um, as far as you being an educator here in Pittsburgh. Sure. Um, so I think it's important to kind of trace how Pittsburgh even came onto my radar um, because it was not a place that I had um, <laughs> I had thought of, visited, or even had the context to understand. And so it was my education, actually wrapping up my doctoral studies at the University of Louisville that um, allowed me to kind of pursue jobs across the country. Um, and so I applied to a handful of jobs that would have taken me a lot of places in a, a lot of different directions. And um, I came to Pittsburgh in February of 2018. I'll never forget it. It was uh, <laughs> it was on February 1st, uh, oh, first day of Black History Month. Um, and, I, and I stood at the University of Pittsburgh um, in the Cathedral of Learning and gave a talk. Um, about my research, I'm sure we'll we'll get into some of that um, as well. And uh, and I started by saying like it's the first day of Black History Month, and I never thought that I would celebrate Black History Month in Pittsburgh. And so, <laughs> there's a thing that I do before I deliver any talk. Um, it's a series of things I do. Um, but I, I research the, um, the black and indigenous histories of that space. Mm -hmm. So I try very intentionally to ground myself before I share space with other people. So, you know, I do, um, a bit of research about the, the history of the land, the history of the, the spaces that I'm encountering. And then I, I, I want to know more about the people who have inhabited those spaces. And so I do some digging around um, the ways that my culture and heritage might intersect. And then I kind of localize it and figure out about the actual space. And so, um, you know, I learned about, you know, August, I knew about August Wilson, mm -hmm. I knew about John Edgar Wyman. But then I started finding interesting things about like the first ambulance being from Pittsburgh and, you know, um, just even location wise, like this kind of, middleness and so I'm sharing this because it was through my learning about Pittsburgh that I got intrigued about what I might be able to do here um, and so the position at the University of Pittsburgh is the foremost reason why I moved to Pittsburgh um, and so that you know that squarely places me as an educator I'm an assistant professor of English at the University of Pittsburgh um, and so I work in the English department within the Dietrich School of Arts and Sciences. Mm -hmm. um, I also work in the School of Education's uh, Center for Urban Education. I'm a faculty fellow there. Um, I, I collaborate with faculty in the School of Social Work, um, as well as faculty in other spaces in the university. And so education is very uh, broad for me. I, um, within my position, I directly work with undergraduate and graduate students who might enroll in my courses focused on Black studies, Black literature, Black rhetorics, um, Black writing, writing for the public, professional writing. Um, so those are the areas that I'm <clears throat> trained in. Um, what, what really drives me, though, is not so much my work at Pitt, um, 
because what, what I struggle with is in my program within my larger department, I was the first black woman to be hired. And so in 2018, <clears throat> that's some really complicated history there. You know, on mm-hmm. the one hand, some folks will celebrate that and it does, re- does deserve a celebration. I'm very proud of myself for the things that I've accomplished. And so are my, you know, family members and folks within my community. Absolutely. But, but there are complications around thinking about what it means to be the first in the tw- in, in 2018, the 21st century, you know? And so sure we see first every day. Yes. Um, but, but if, if you could just imagine, you know, what that means to navigate that space, what that means to kind of negotiate, uh, my lived experiences, my embodied realities against the context of the larger university, the day-to-day interactions, it brings forth its own challenges. Um, and so that, that drives me in meaningful ways to disrupt not only what it means to be a professor, what it means to be a black woman professor, what it means to be a black woman professor in the 21st century, what it means to be a black professor in the 21st century in Pittsburgh, but really what I'm called to do in a larger sense of things. And I think that that is to, to educate and to shift the landscape of who knows what and whose knowledges are deemed important and relevant and necessary. And for me, that's everyday black people, educated black people. You know, I just feel like there's so many ways that that blackness is so full and infinite um, and imaginative that, that we have not even fully tapped into. And so I take that as my charge and I do my job. You know, I do my job, I do it well, but I also go beyond my job. Um, And what I mean by that is beyond the space of the university, you know, to think about the communities that are around Pittsburgh. And so when I got to Pittsburgh, um, we, my husband and I, uh, we moved um, in, when did we move? Early August of 2018. And um, we legit were looking for some hot wings, honestly, we're like, gotta be some gotta be some wings in this city somewhere um and i'm from memphis and it's like everywhere it's like a wing place on every corner oh my goodness it's crazy it's so good you just kind of i mean you end up finding your wing spot but it's Mm -hmm. no shortage of wings in the whole city (laughs) um so um so anyway we gravitated to homewood Mm -hmm. you know and i always tell the story that in looking for feelings of home whenever you move whenever you are um, you know, you relocate, even if you relocate in the city, you know, you're, you're, you're going to look for those feelings of home, those things that feel comfortable to you, those things that feel recognizable to you, that, that make you feel supported, that make you feel seen. And so, um, we, we, we hopped over to Homewood and it reminded me of Memphis. Like, I mean, it just reminded me of neighborhoods that I grew up in, neighborhoods that I saw. And so it was very, uh, familiar. Um, sometimes in, you know, inviting ways, just people saying hello, you know, seeing kids playing, um, doing things like that. But it was also in some disturbing ways that help you see the ways that black neighborhoods don't, um, aren't resourced in the same ways as other neighborhoods. So all these things on every level felt familiar to me. Mm -hmm. And so my husband actually took his first job at the YMCA, um, the Homewood Bristol YMCA doing programming for alcohol and drug prevention and working in Westinghouse student support Alderdice. And, 
you know, so much of me being an educator and, and prioritizing education is the fact that I marry someone, I'm, I'm in close friendship relationship with someone who also thinks of education similarly. And so it's just something that we talk about all the time, like from policy to curriculum to lamenting what needs to change and then activating that change into programs and activities. And so in walking around the neighborhood, I was just like, where the kids? Like, where the kids? Where the teenagers? And where they, and nobody's just hanging out. What's going on? Um, and so I got really excited um, at the possibility of connecting with some of the youth. And so I taught my first graduate seminar. And I said, this seminar is not going to leave Pitt graduate students in Oakland or in mm-hmm. the cathedral. You, you know, they need to kind of see what these theories of education and and you know all these books that they're reading looks like in action and so yes. i connected with the homewood children's village connected with westinghouse and um we started a program that was focused on literacies um around social justice around healing justice like what does it mean to name the things that you're seeing in your neighborhood and actually know what's happening not that you're just frustrated if this is not here or you you know you see people giving up that like this is never going to change but how much power there is in being able to communicate to being able to say like this is here i don't like it but let me also tell you why this has to change and that if the youth could understand that then they could be at the center of that work and so first go around we had about 25 kids mixed gender mixed age it was it was a a a great time lots of fun lots of laughs but when we came back in the spring only girls returned and one of the young ladies Dejanae looked around and she said Dr. K it's only girls here it's it's better like this wow other girls all the other girls looked there and I was like you right and I was like all right so do we only need to do girls I was like yeah we do because boys be playing too much and we just need to get in here and do what we came to do. And I was like, all right, let's do it. And so I revamped the scope of the project to answer this question. You know, what happens when you listen to black girls? You know, because so often black girls are labeled and codified as loud and, and ghetto or or standoffish or they shut down in ways that, to respond to the world that they don't display their opinions in, in hopes of not being misread or not heard. And so I wanted to open that space. And so that's that's really the origins of hype media. And so when you look at the acronym, it's um, Homewood Youth Powered and Engaged Media. And that, that power piece and that engaged piece is really important because I have a lot of skills and a lot of things that I think about and want to change. but. I really want to start early in equipping young people to think about what it means to organize and to advocate for themselves, for their communities, for their schools, for their families, their neighborhoods. And I want to be clear that this is not me placing the responsibility on these young people, meaning that they should fix the problems. Not at all. Um, and, and that's so easy to slip into that mindset um, when you when you organize programs in this way. But instead, what I'm saying is, Literacy is so much larger than reading and writing. You know, there's so much power in in knowing how to name for yourself who you are and how you want other people to engage you. And then further to name the inequities that are circling you every day 
And so that that gap in knowledge often, I believe, is a key to changing justice outcomes. And so when I can help young ladies learn what colorism is, understand gentrification, understand how to read policies that are being passed in their neighborhood and in their city, they shift their mindset from like, they ain't got nothing to do with me or that's never gonna change, you know? So that understanding is really what's happening. And so we use media to um, particularly social media through our Instagram accounts, the podcast, to really activate these conversations so that the youth are at the forefront, at the center of the work. Um, and, and we're kind of working as the university partners behind the scenes to to nurture their learning and to support them in their advocacy work. So so let me let me interject because she gave us a lot of gems about how you started you also answered a few of the a few of the next questions um primarily speaking about hype media i love the fact that you said for black girls so oftentimes uh being a black woman myself coming up and i am from homewood shout out to homewood there were not really many spaces that provided you with the chance to be educated with a chance to have your opinions and voice matter, with a chance to have a space that taught you how to properly advocate for yourself. And that has been one of the biggest things that I'm learning. So many of these young people uh, feel like at times they don't have a voice. So by creating a space and creating a moment and creating time, you guys, you and um, your husband have given so much time to these young people and that matters giving them that time to know that hey not only are we going to educate you but we're going to help you through it not only are we going to educate you but we're going to help you navigate you know through some of life circumstances and situations and that is so very important that is so very important that you've chosen to not only step out of the space of you know just pit but you know the Howard children's village and then for Hype Media and its mission to help these young Black girls. That's needed, especially during today's time. Because as you see it, you know, the media, we watch the media and we watch the news all the time and they put out the messages that they want us to hear. But when they have their own voice, that is so much more powerful. I know you guys have a podcast. I enjoyed those episodes that I've listened to. I know that you guys have been, you know, featured on the news, um, your 412 day, um, just some of the upcoming projects that I've heard you guys speak about. Can you just talk a little bit more about why now it was important for you to do that? Um, sure. So, um, I mean, there's a wealth of, of research and um, news sharing about um black children in education. So you have folks talking about the school to prison pipeline, even extending that front to the cradle to prison pipeline, that there are these kind of trends and, and, and some people even project them as inevitabilities that um, a percentage of black children will navigate the education system in some way um, that will lead to particular ends. And I always struggle with with reading that literature because while the data may be moving in that direction Mm -hmm. we also have very clear indications of what has happened structurally for this to be happening um and so when you even focus further 
on urban learning centers when you yes. focus even further into um, gender realities of how this looks for black boys and black girls, um, black trans children. You know, you start to see how many uh, ways this conversation is layered and complex. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so for me, education is, is, is one area that this can be addressed. You know, when we really think about it, these histories of how black people have navigated life in this country are similar, that there are these systems that have been designed to, to make it very difficult for progression and change and shifts to happen. Um, but at the same time, we, we still had such an abundance of joy in gathering mm-hmm. and being with one another through, through our, our best times, our most challenging times. And so, so much of it is also, it, it is responding to that data, but it's also that like, I love when I get together with a group of black girls and we talk about hair and we just laugh or think about food. <laughs> Or, you know, get each other together about our edges. You know, like we just, you just we just know how to do those things and also do the work. Um, so it's, 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 it's in large part a reminder that you deserve to take a break. Yeah. You deserve to laugh. You know, so much of when I read material about adultification and parentification and all these terms that really have to do with taking black children or children out of the the opportunities to just be kids yes i think about my own life that you know i grew up with a single parent mom in an urban city in a in a neighborhood that was not heavily resourced Mm -hmm. and and i i did have a great deal of responsibilities as a teenager some that weren't even directly given to me i just saw what was happening and wanted to help you know, or, or knew what it would take for a day to run in our household or mm-hmm. to see that my mom didn't need my support, you know? Um, and so it's complicated when you have um, folks making assessments of, of life that may be distant to them and experience, even if you observe it, to live it and to be within it is a different thing. And so, so much of my motivation comes from my own journey and my own healing journey that is continuous and happening simultaneously while while and carrying out these projects that I feel like these kids deserve it. You know, I feel like they deserve to see a me. Not that they would become a professor, you know, that might not be their goal. Um, but but to see that you can be fully yourself. Some days you're not gonna have it together. Mm-hmm. Some days it's going to be perfect. You know, it's just going to be perfect from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed. <laughs> and then there might be seasons where it just feels like completely just gray, you know, and, and just helping them see the fullness of their humanity through playing games, designing projects, pushing back, you know, learning new skills. And so it's that, it's, it's that piece. Um, it's also just really, once it got started, Hmm. Once it got started, it started to do things that I didn't plan for it to do. Mm-hmm. And and to me, that's how you know that your work is working. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, um, you know, as I talked to the young ladies when we were in larger group, it was just it was I could just see that see them evolving. Yeah. You know, I could see them handling conflict differently. 
I could see them, you know, attempting to make sense of things. And it didn't mean that they didn't make mistakes. It didn't mean that they didn't, um, weren't short-sighted sometimes. It just meant that they were committing themselves to a different understanding or committing themselves to coming back and reflecting and finding place for rage. You know, it's okay to be pissed off, but let's figure out what to do with that. It's okay that this hurts you. Well, not okay that it hurts you, but it's okay that we can recognize that hurt has happened. Now let's talk about what to do with it. So taking them from that internalization to to process it. Um, And then really just helping them to see resources. Um, So hype is really, um, this is one of the, the extreme benefits of working through the university that that gives us access to other professors, other spaces mm-hmm. than me. I'm navigating Pittsburgh and attempting to build networks. So as I'm meeting black women in Pittsburgh, meeting people <laughs> throughout, I'm bringing them in, you know, so I'm helping to build this network that they now have access to. And the, 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 the beautiful part also is that they have networks, you know, and sometimes they don't even know it. Or I'm like, oh, do you know this person? They're like, yeah, I know my, my cousin does this or, you know, so we're, we're mm-hmm. really building a community within. And so um, that piece has also just been timely that like these girls, all girls need to know that they're not by themselves, that they don't have to figure everything out. They don't have to be the sole designer of every solution in their life, that they have resources, that they have people to lean on and that that resource and that support is gonna look different for different things. Mm-hmm. But like learning how to leverage those things early and really kind of revising this idea of networking as like give, 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 take, you know, like you gave me something, I give you something. No, no, no. Sometimes it's just to sit in fellowship. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's just knowing that like this person is here or they wrote something that I can look at. You know, it's not always, um, you know, an exchange, you know, so that's I'm really attempting to help them see that. And so. You know, if nothing more, (laughs) my time in Pittsburgh has been fulfilling for the connections I've made through the youth engagement. um, Well, let's go here. (laughs) Let's let's go here because I want to talk about the fact that you said resources, giving them the chance to talk, because a lot of times, you know, I don't know how it is for anybody else that growing up sometimes and, you know, the spaces that I was in as a young woman, with adults, you hear, stay in a child's place or, mm-hmm. you know, stay out of grown folks' business and don't speak on that and don't say this. Mm-hmm. And that is very dismissive. But it sounds like you are giving the children, the youth, the young ladies, a chance to speak up for themselves, to have a voice. Is that what you see yourself doing as far as, you know, the discussions that you have, the community discussion and the way yeah. that you allow them to express themselves? Absolutely. And I I would take it a bit further to um, not only um, help them see that the voice that they have can be used to activate change, but also that when speaking, you want to be informed. Mm -hmm. When speaking, you want to understand your audience. You want to understand what you need to move X to Y in this situation. Yes. So I'm a rhetorician by training. And, and, and as I tell the girls, this is really, it's all about strategy. You know that when you want to ask your mom something, you're going to do it a certain way. When you got to go to the, the your teacher, you're going to do it a certain way. And so helping them think about 
what do I need in order to achieve this goal in this moment with these tools? So they're putting all the pieces together. And so it, it is using your voice, but it's also understanding that a lot of people sound off about things, you know, and, and, and a lot of people have platforms that they can say things in but how do we use how do we use those platforms and mobilize them? how do we use our resources and our networks to mobilize things how do we really empower ourselves first so we really start with ourselves first how do we how do we get ourselves confident enough to know that what I have to say matters and I have to think about how I need to say it and I'm not talking about respectability I don't really play those games and like you need to sound like this. You need to look like this. We're not doing that. I need you to be authentic, but I also still need you to know your plan. What's your game plan? How are we going about this? How do we anticipate some of the responses and outcomes so that we can have a plan for next steps? How do we work as more than one person, you know, to get this done? Yeah. And so it's a it's a it's a mindset. It's a mindset project. You know, this this idea that yes. You know, I could talk positivity mm-hmm. all day and all night, and we do. We, we, we start our, our programs with positive affirmations. We share them on our social media. But, but the idea of positivity is a lot deeper than, than me saying, look on the bright side. It's realizing that school systems are problematic. <laughs> the way that my neighborhood is resourced is problematic. So sure, I can be positive and I can look on the bright side, but I also need to know what's really going on. And so it's that piece. It's giving them the access to know that like, you're not delusional (laughs) when you say we should have this or school should feel like this. No, you're right. Now let's talk about what's actually happening. You know, let's talk about, you know, the school board, how it's made up. How do people get voted in? How does a policy change? And so these are things that you're able to do in out of school time to in an out of school time program to supplement what's happening in school. And so it's really taking education to the next level. So using your voice, but also knowing that you got to do some work to to get to that change you want to see. And, and that so brings we, in the education piece again, because of the fact that you said teaching them what policies are currently in place. There's a saying that we also hear a lot in church and then just in our community. My people perish for a lack of knowledge. Sometimes we don't know what to ask for. You know, we can say we want change all day. So whenever you see, you know, say for instance, elections and things coming up, well, we want change. And they're like, okay, well, what do you want to change? Uh, We want better schools. Okay, well, what don't you like about the current school? And what policies do you want to, you know, change? So we don't always know what to ask. We don't always know what we're looking for at times, but knowing and having that education piece of, okay, here's the policy. What do we like about the policy? How can we change the policy to work well for us? Having those key pieces are essential. They're essential. And that also helps the children, you know, when they grow up, the youth, when they get older, they'll go back to these lessons and these moments and they'll be well equipped. I'm learning that, you know, this time away from school I don't know how anybody else navigated that remote learning, but I was praying every day (laughs) for God to open up the doors, you know, so I could thoroughly communicate with the teachers. But it just seemed like our children have missed out on so much these last couple of years, these last couple of years with their education on crucial pieces that are really important to take them to the next level. 
Mm-hmm. You know, so you're looking at these juniors and these seniors and those that are preparing to go into high school and they don't have the skills and they don't have the knowledge necessary. Yeah, it's tough. Um, and I think for me, what I'm hoping is, you know, every educator tries their best on every level, primary, all the way up to post-secondary. I'm going to say early childhood, you know, to impart mm-hmm. particular things. Um, I mean, you do your best. And I might not be able to hit every person's lived experience or reality or thing that they're struggling with but what I'm hoping um, is central is this idea of community mm-hmm. this idea of seeking knowledge and having tools to seek knowledge and if that we can if we can master those things and not only master them but also understand and return to them then, then everything will be possible yes and what I mean by this is that I am concerned, like, you know, we have a structure, we have things that we're doing, projects that we're working on. Um, But what I'm most concerned about is that they know that they can do it, that 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 it's it's, it's them. They are the key, not the job, not the check, it's them. So the more that you continue to understand you, empower you, then you can think about your community. Mm -hmm. You can think about your school, you can think about your family, because if you're not together, if you're not clear, it's all going to be a mess about in all those spaces. And so so that's what I'm really hoping is taken away. We have a lot of fun with the, with the specialized projects and, you know, the, the skills. But it's that bigger piece that, like, I got me, so I got you. Yes. You know? So. Yes, yes, yes. And then you said something that's very important. So uh, on the Abundant Living Talk Show and podcast, a big piece we talk about not only self-love, but like you said, if you're not taking care of yourself, you can't pour. Mm-hmm. You are pouring into lives by taking time out of your busy schedule, by taking time to develop programs, by taking time to educate. But if you're not together, it's kind of hard to pour. And people have to understand that, especially in today's time, because of you know there being such a need. There's just such a need. Our youth need love. Our youth need realistic resources. It's great to get a number for referral, but it's also great to know how to get that number, articulate, you know, what you need, advocate for yourself, and then know what again to ask for. So you're you're also providing these young people with hope. I think that is so big because you help them to see their, themselves in a way that they may not have realized, you know, that they are powerful. And, you know, sometimes we look at ourselves like, oh, I'm just a woman or oh, I'm just young. No, you're not just anything, but you instill in them power, you know, and hope that's going to be needed. It's hard when you're looking at these communities. I love Homewood, as I said before, but, you know, driving through there sometimes and you just look around like, wow, what if our community had this? Or what if we had access to this? And sometimes you can drive through Pittsburgh and see different, you know, different parts of the city and it feel like it's a different city in each neighborhood. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. You go to one side of town, and it's like, oh my goodness, they have this, they have that. Then you go to another side of town, and it's like, we don't have the same access to certain things. So it can be hard in that environment. But I thank you guys for, you know, I'm saying you guys because your husband does it as well for instilling hope in our youth because it's needed. It's needed. Oh, I appreciate the the appreciation and and the true piece I think that always resonates with me is that in all that 
that I attempt to connect myself with is is not painting these pictures that uh, it's going to be better over here or you need to come and do this instead. And what I mean by that is, you know, when you design a project specifically that's sponsored by a university um, or, or any entity really that's funded, you have to really be in relationship with the communities that are that you're serving because you don't want to be pulling a kid away from home like oh well when you come here you're going to be doing this so I try to keep my parents involved you know for them to be a part of things to know what's going on to to really understand that I'm sure I am an educator and I'm designing a project but this is a matter of the heart for me this is a matter of my healing and and seeing that Healing is always communal. That to live in to, to live in Pittsburgh requires me to think about Homewood, to think about yeah. Wilkinsburg, to think about East Hills, to think about Duquesne, the Mon Valley, McKeesport. It, it requires me to think about where the people who I'm serving, and you know, I specifically work with black children, black black students, black people, mm-hmm. you know, um, where they are. And what their realities are there. I was doing a project over in Stowe at the Stowe Rocks Library, and it was intriguing to me to see the schools where those kids were getting bused to. And then when they came back to their neighborhood, what projects or programs they could, they had access to. Wow, yeah. That sometimes, sure, I could say that Homewood is under resourced, but there are things in home there are a lot of things in Homewood you know you got a YMCA and still my point is that and still there's there's so much more to do there's still so many more lives to connect to but when I go to you know another neighborhood in Pittsburgh or in the you know greater Allegheny County space I'm like and these kids have even fewer points of access mm-hmm. and so it's you know I'm one person um but I am this is why where the the larger work comes into play. You know, when I'm working with graduate students, I'm hoping to train and educate other people to do this work. I really want to talk to talk with other nonprofit leaders and and organizations to to get some dynamic community centered, healing centered training for youth programming. Not just let's let's make sure these kids got somewhere to go. That's important. Mm-hmm. But we got to get even deeper in our intention and what we're doing in these programs and how they're structured, who's trained to lead them. How do they understand those responsibilities so there isn't a high turnover in those in those pieces that we fund our educators from, you know, the early education to secondary, middle level, out of school time that we adequately fund these folks because the responsibility is huge. Right, and we're talking about lives here, and, and so if Pittsburgh, exactly. If Pittsburgh <laughs> is putting out reports that that black women, this is the worst place for black women to live. What do you think it's like for black girls that that we want to grow up to be black women? You know, so that that's what that's what motivates me daily. I'm I'm writing something now about that very thing that if we we have to put our support behind programs that support black girls in this city in order for us to change this larger problem of 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 black women not being able to live and survive here 
And that's a big piece because like you said, the funds are out there. Uh, <laughs> we can't think that sometimes there's no access as far as financially, because there are a lot of great things. I want to point that out in Homewood. It's a lot of wonderful, mm-hmm. a lot of wonderful resources. But like you said, finding how we can read those things and then help them go hand in hand with the actual resources. Reading that, that this is one of the worst places. But that is not a reality. That is not something that I can do. So what do you do, right? Like connecting with, connecting with hype media, connecting with, you know, other agencies that are here in Pittsburgh. And I love the fact that you said you reach out to the parents too. Parents, if you are listening, it takes your help. It takes your time. You need to be involved in what your kids are involved in as far as knowing what uh, programs they're involved in, having conversations with the heads of those programs if you have access to them, and then just knowing what, you know, sparks your children's interest. Having multiple children is all work. Like you said, Dr. K, you came up with a single mother. Shout out to the single moms. (laughs) <laughs> but this is not a job that is for the faint of heart. It is not a job that is for the faint of heart. But having hype media, I know it's been a blessing, you know, to me because of it giving my child an outlet. And I really appreciate that because she's more, you know, apt sometimes to talk to her girlfriends or have a conversation on the podcast than she would to come home sometimes and sit down and talk about it. And I'm grateful for those spaces. I'm grateful for you creating those spaces. I want to move on to another um, uh, organization that I know that is dear to your heart, and that's T-Black. I want you to tell us what that acronym stands for. I want you to tell us um, the mission behind that and how you work with that um, on your day-to-day basis or how you're orchestrating that currently. Sure. So (laughs) D-Black is... um a writing support um, organization, mentoring um, mm-hmm. support organization, and it stands for Digital Black Lit, and the lit is short for literatures and literacies and composition. Um, and those are areas that I have been trained in extensively, literacy, uh, learning, and education, um, literary uh, studies broadly, um, and, and writing studies. But in action, D-Black um, stands for, can, can also stand for digital Black life and culture. So in a broad sense, we're really thinking about the ways that Black learners need to be supported. Um, and when I say Black learners, I mean this from the high school setting, to the community setting, to the university setting, to organizational settings, and so forth. Um, so as a university professor, there are expectations that I have to support graduate students and undergraduate students who are writing things like their senior papers, their uh, master's thesis, dissertation, seminar papers, and so forth. And what I quickly realized from my own experience was that I had these expectations, but really didn't have a lot of training on how to do them. You know, so you move through a college education and you learn a lot of things, but you, you don't always learn the ins and outs of writing nor do you have the community to do writing within. Um, And so as a graduate student, myself and um, one of my colleagues and friends, Lou Mirage, who now lives in in Vancouver, uh, 
uh, British Columbia. Um, so, um, yeah, so one of my colleagues and friends, Lou Mirage, we co-founded this organization while we were graduate students. And this was a pretty powerful experience to be within the space that you were trying to change. And so coming to Pittsburgh, we were able to scale that project to um, kind of reach more audiences to think more carefully about the work that we were doing. Mm-hmm. And so at its core, D-Black functions to support writers and learners um, and, and specifically to amplify the writing and, and scholarship of black thinkers and writers. And so we have a writing retreat that happens every year. Um, it's been on hold because of COVID, um, which mm-hmm. actually has given us a, a great bit of time to think about what it needs to look like in the future. Um, we have a reading series that features um, books from different writers across different experiences, poetry to academic texts on different topics. And what we're attempting to do here is to disrupt who creates knowledge within the university, in the academy. Um, and Can we so, say that again? <laughs> okay, let me see. I, I, and I'm trying to slow this down a bit to say it in a different way. So in academic settings, um, there are expectations that you are creating scholarship. You're creating literature that will inform the world on how to think about X or Y. And so you go through years of training so that you can be a voice of authority um, or or a voice of informed perspective to be able to speak on a topic. Mm -hmm. And so usually that comes in the form of an article, um, a book, uh, papers, you know, conferences and so forth. Uh, what gets complicated about those things, just as we see in other spaces, is that Black voices are not always pushed to the front. They aren't always uh, taught, yes. as we see in conversations around critical race theory. So the same things that are happening in your um, high school learning settings, in your community, are happening mm-hmm. in the university as well. Um, hence me saying I was the first black woman to be, you know, so it, it just keeps repeating itself. And so what we attempt to do in D black is to say, number one, these writers are important. And so mm-hmm. we're going to talk about them. So they might not be on your syllabus or in your course. They might not be in your library yet. They may not even be coming to your university to speak, but D black is going to be a space where you can come and hear from them. Where that. you can come and engage with them. And and the beautiful thing about D Black and the work that we're doing around community is that it's not even about you being a university member. I want you, Latia, to be able to come to uh one of the talks and say, Oh wow, I wanna read this book now. I didn't even know about this, but mm-hmm. this is relevant to me for X. And so it's disrupting even who can engage with the university because the university can be so closed off. You need all of these qualifications in order to be in this course. You need this many degrees in order to get this job. And so we keep creating more gates and more barriers. And so we're attempting to use the digital space for an openness, for a entry into conversations that you might not otherwise have. 
And so it's really powerful work that even overlaps with some of the things I was saying to Hype Media to think about community, to think about voice, to think about empowerment, all things, all values that are very important and, and central to me. And so we give away books. Each, each, each time we feature a reader, we're gonna give away several complimentary copies. We host a chat that is open to the public virtually. So that means you can join from anywhere in the world um, and, and where you're able to listen in. And you don't have to have read beforehand. Um, you don't have any qualifications to join. And so that's really the work of D-Black. How do you create space where Black life and Black culture can be celebrated regardless of your background, regardless of your location, regardless of your um, area of study? that together we can learn so much from one another when we open and invite the space. And then finally, we have weekly writing group sessions. So this is about writing accountability and writing support. And I'm really attempting to forward this idea that we're writing all the time. I mean, people are having to write emails. They're having to write, um, you know, it might be an assignment for a class that this is not unique to the university. You know, that even though these folks have responsibilities, I was just helping someone in the community write a, a character letter for a court appearance for a family member. Like, and I'm like, this is where I want to use my skills to say, yes, you do have to write this thing and it might feel difficult and heavy for you emotionally, but let me help you organize it. Or for that parent who needs to advocate for their child and as you said, doesn't know what to say, let me help you write an email to break this down. Or that student who's struggling to like show up for themselves for that big project that's coming up or doesn't even know where to begin, where a space where you can come to. And so, so much of my work within D-Black and really across all the things is about holding space, making space, and, and, and allowing space to do meaningful work. I would even say, you give access. So mm -hmm. I want to pause in this moment, because I always like to ask our listeners questions and hopefully cause them to think, what would you be able to accomplish if you were given access? Mm -hmm. You give access. That is so important, especially here. I don't know how it is in other cities. And they said you are from the South South and truly <laughs> Southern. <laughs> but you know, sometimes it seems like in certain spaces, it's like, oh, no, it's my information and I don't want to share it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But for you to have a wealth of knowledge, to me, once you accomplish something, once you've reached a certain level and hopefully you're still climbing, you should want to reach out and help others. So given access to, realistic resources, information that help. Um, another piece that I think that you said was important with the youth, when they're advocating for themselves in school. Sometimes, you know, a home life situation may not be ideal. Maybe they didn't get that much sleep the night before. And then you're faced with, hey, pop queens. Mm -hmm. Or you're faced with, hey, big projects. And you don't have the internet or you don't have the resources that are needed. So helping them to get through that by using their words. Our words, people have power. And I think that that is amazing that D-Black takes time to help people put their words to paper, email, to read others' words, and hopefully gain power from them. So I thank you again for giving access. I want to also touch on the emotional aspect because we are going to be wrapping up soon. 
But we know that the last three years have been a lot emotionally. Life can sometimes be a lot. Can we just say that? Life can sometimes be a lot. But I want to reach out and talk about your husband. Um, Spencer is a educator in his own right. Um, he is a DJ's DJ. I will say that. And I had the privilege with the tribe a couple weeks ago. I decided that I wanted to clean. And you know, so for some people that doesn't seem like a big deal, but I recognized that I was going through and trying to get down into a depressive state. And so I said, you know, let me put on, you know, Spencer's uh, live that he was doing. And so he was on Twitch and he was doing his live broadcast in honor of his mom and using music to show healing. And for me, I was able to put that on and the tribe and I danced around and clean. And that again may seem like something so small, but before you knew it, I had the dining room done. And then I had the living room done. And when I looked back at the before and after, because I take pictures, I take my before and after pictures. And I look back on those pictures, I shared them with my parents and I said, your girl was trying to get depressed. I said, my emotions have been all over the place. But in that moment, just being able to connect with my tribe, being able to connect with my babies and dance, okay? And dance, and he kept the music flowing. How do you guys, in addition to being educators, in addition to pouring into so many cups and starting amazing organization, how do you guys help channel the emotions? And what are some other outlets you guys use in addition to music? Sure. Um, I should first say you should definitely reach out to Spencer to interview him and have him on your show um, because I think he would be overjoyed to hear your um, <laughs> experience with the music as he is sharing his healing journey and, 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 and exactly what you experienced is I think one of his goals and so before we moved to Pittsburgh Spencer's mom passed away uh, rather unexpectedly for us and um and so he uses his um, DJing and just his love for music to, um, to process his grief um, and to activate his healing. And so he, he uh, between October and February uh, 19th, which is his mother's birthday, uh, hosts a monthly uh, live stream music set and what you were experiencing are memories that he has with his mother dancing in the house with her wow. while cleaning up on Saturdays laughing. <laughs> she loved music. I mean, there was never a time, honestly, that she did not have on some music and would just have her, uh, have her, her arms, her arms extended, ready to dance with you. And so wow. to hear you have that experience, that's exactly what he's hoping to evoke in, in other folks. And so um, me and Spencer have really prioritized in our relationship and our marriage um, the idea of healing in action um, and really sharing our healing with other people, not, not really uh, succumbing to the shame that people often have around their healing, which requires us to practice a certain level of critical vulnerability being very careful um, in how we share our vulnerabilities and make ourselves vulnerable and with whom um, but also realizing that to heal out loud is really revolutionary for black people to to say I'm struggling right now and I need other people and those other people don't have to be people I've known 20 years I don't even have to know them 
you know, to know that you are tuning in um, and this is going to give you something, gives me something, you know, and so that has been really a highlight for him and really a lifeline for him to use his music as a tool to process for himself, but to open space for others. And so um, if anyone wants to join, there'll be a set um, next Saturday on February 19th. Uh, for for my mother-in-law's birthday um, and so we're really excited about that celebration but you know the larger piece of healing is that we, 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 we really have been my husband and I have really been interested in our own like struggles to come into healing the times mm-hmm. that we resisted healing um, because of what we saw, you know, we saw people pushing through, we saw people, you know, maybe not having, um, the ability to leave and start anew, you know, to, to really see what else was possible. And so we take every piece as a part of our healing. Uh, we talk actively about it, even when we don't necessarily have the words or the energy or patience that we need to deal with each other. We don't give up in that way. Um, we see healing as multiple. So we do um, find benefit in talk therapy, um, meaning like seeing a therapist and talking through problems. But we also encourage folks to understand that that healing and therapeutic practice is, is vast. Mm-hmm. You know, so we should never discount that energy of cleaning your house with some music blasting. That is a therapy. Um, that music therapy is in fact a, a deep and studied practice. Uh, I have a friend who's an art therapist who, um, you know, talks about the ways that art forms. So creating, writing, drawing, uh, composing, so many things. And so I will really just encourage and impart on folks to participate in healing spaces that other people have created. Uh, whether that be listening to a live stream, attending a yoga, listening to a talk show like this one. Uh, find the things that, that bring you comfort. Um, that bring you peace, that calm you, um, and, and, and hold them as sacred, return to them. If that Mm -hmm. means weekly, daily, find you your habits that you need to move those things forward and don't be afraid to diversify those things. Talk therapy is not for everyone. Um, and and at different seasons, talk therapy may have its place. It might need to be complemented and supplemented, meaning you might need to talk to your therapist one day, but also have you a playlist that you turn to or a artistic practice that you look to or, um, you know, your spiritual practice. It can be complemented that you can pray and listen and draw and talk. Um, And so I really want our people to see the benefit of a community of healing, of a a spectrum of healing experiences um, and to trust your instincts in that in trying it, it may not work for you. It may not serve you in this moment, but in a different time it may. And so the commitment is not to therapy. The commitment is to finding the thing that you need to activate your healing at a given time and to commit yourself to returning as things change, as they evolve and move forward. And so you might need different things at different times, but never do it alone and never think of it as singular. And I love that because again, in that moment, it gave me a chance to connect with the children because the tribe and I 
we've been through so much. So they already know on a Saturday morning, you know, whenever they hear certain songs, oh man, they already know. Um, I do want to say, you know, Spencer, um, hopefully you're listening to this. You do have my deepest condolences on the passing of your mom, but I love the fact that you're taking time to share her with us through music. Uh, he didn't miss a beat. He didn't. Uh, each song, I was waiting for the next one because the <laughs> way he just flows as a DJ, you guys, if you're having an event, a cookout, a birthday, bar mitzvah, whatever you're having, I want you guys to really look up and it's DJ PVO mm-hmm. on Facebook. And I said, what is that? Positive vibes only. I want you to really look up his DJ page and definitely book him for your next event. Don't, you know, try to get my family discount, but book him for your <laughs> next Because he keeps the music going. Music is something that is eternal and it brings us together. You know with a good playlist at any given event, you will see us dancing, you will see us connecting. Even if you listen to a certain song, you can remember, oh, I was such and such a place when I heard this. Mm-hmm. So I love that. And he really was having fun with it. So I would definitely reach out to him and see about you know him coming on the show if he's willing to be a guest. Mm-hmm. I'm so excited. I'm so excited about all the work that you're doing in the community. I want you to tell our listeners, because I can continue talking to you. You know, we can talk for hours. <laughs> <laughs> we definitely can. But I want you to tell our listeners not only how can how they can connect with you, but uh, you know, with your upcoming work, without giving it all away, giving us all the <laughs> juicy secrets. But tell us of your upcoming work. Tell us how they can connect with you, and just hopefully, you know, some of the projects that we can look forward to in the near future here in Pittsburgh and abroad. Short thing. Um, so I am accessible on all social media. My handle. Um, is the same across Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and that's Kirsten, K-H-I-R-S-T-E-N-L Scott, S-C-O-T-T. The same for my website, which will be uh, revised and relaunched later this year, but it's accessible for contacting me directly, and that's www.kirstenlscott.com, and that's K-H-I-R-S-T-E-N-L-S-C-O-T-T.com. Um, currently, uh, Hype Media is bringing in a new cohort of young ladies, some phenomenal 9th, 10th, and 11th graders at Westinghouse. Um, yes. And um, our dear Amber is leading us from the youth side. So we are working on some new projects. We will be uh, doing some work with Wikipedia um, and doing some kind of community projects with Wikipedia this semester. Um, We're going to be talking. Yeah, it's going to be really exciting. We are going to be talking about school-based change. So we'll be doing some projects directly within Westinghouse. And um, the girls are actually going to be designing some community projects. So I'm excited to see what they come up with and how we can support them. Um, Me directly, I was, um, I'm about to launch a new project about historically black colleges and universities in Pittsburgh. Um, how those stories intersect. I've told, I've been told that if you come to Homewood, it's like um, going to Lincoln or Cheney. And so I'm trying to find all the people in Pittsburgh who attended an HBCU, um, are connected to HBCUs and talk with them. Um, and I'm working on my first book, which will be about historically black colleges and universities. So the book is titled Black on the Edge, HBCU Survival Rhetorics. And so 
I'm saying that name because it's going to motivate me to keep writing um, and keep the project moving forward. And so I'm excited, excited, excited about all these things that are happening for me. Um, And I know that my Pittsburgh community will continue to help me see these things into fruition and really my broader community, but really excited about the connections I've made here to sustain a very different life in Pittsburgh. (laughs) (laughs) I love what you did there. Well, you guys, you heard it here first. Hopefully you have a very, 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 very uh, good time listening to this show, especially because of the fact of everything that is going to give back to the community. I get excited about community work. I really do. So through Hype Media, through D Black, through everything else that you're pouring into the community, those around you, Dr. K, I want to say thank you. You are appreciated. We see you. We love you. Don't stop. You're needed because this work is needed. You're making a difference in these young people's lives. And I say young people because she doesn't only help the young girls, but I know that Sunny has benefited sometimes <laughs> from a good convo. I appreciate that. You know, our community needs to get back to, and I'm gonna say this as we close, get back to the fact of our elders being able to teach us. It's not that these young people don't know what to do, it's that they sometimes need a little push, need a little love, encouragement or need to learn how to do it so i thank you and spencer for all that you're doing all that you're going to do and i look forward to the work in the future and thanks again for being on the show absolutely thanks for having me yes yes so if you've been listening and i hope you have this has been the abundant living talk show and podcast now when somebody asks you how you're living i hope you say abundantly until next time, I'm Latia Esbron. My guest, Dr. K, Dr. Kirsten Scott, signing out. See you later.